Welcome to the Tapped In Podcast, a production of the Bellingham Tap Trail. Tapped In covers the people, news, and events in and around Bellingham's craft beer scene. My name's Aaron, and I'm your host for today's episode. Just before we get started, I want to thank our sponsor of this episode, Hoppus Real Estate. They specialize in Wacom's core neighborhoods, understanding wants and fulfilling needs with community craft and comfort in mind. Located at 1012 DuPont Street, across from Letters Street's Coffee House, you can find them on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks, Hoppus Real Estate. All right, in today's episode, I'm talking to one of the co-owners of Wander Brewing, and we're going to be talking about their brew house, how it's set up, some special brewing techniques that they've developed over the last few years, and they also won a gold medal at this year's Great American Beer Festival. So without delay, let's jump into this interview with Wander Brewing. Chad Keel, I'm the brewer and uh, co-owner of Wander Brewing. Co-owner being my wife, there's just the two of us, So, but we're the two owners. Uh, and how long have you guys been open here? We, uh, wow. Four, Tough question right yeah, off the bat, Chad. Yeah, that's a hard one. <laughs> wow. <laughs> we might struggle through this. So we opened in May of 2014, opened the doors of the brewery. We actually have had the building since four years ago this month. So we got the building October 1st of 2013. It took us about six months to get the building built out and do our first brew. Our first brew was in late March. And then we started distributing in April of 2014 and then opened the actual brew hall tasting room in uh, the first week of May of 2014. So about three and a half years old. And we're talking after you guys have had a, a pretty big month. You won gold at uh, the Great American Beer Festival. Yes. Ooh. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, what beer was that? And uh, what was your reaction? So the beer was a correspondent uh, foreign extra stout. Mm-hmm. We actually, we've, we've traveled to the JBF the past three years and actually had a table in the full setup because a lot of people, I guess the public, you go and you attend and you drink beers, but from a brewery standpoint, you can, you can just not do anything with the JBF. You can enter the competition though, and not actually have a table at the event and serve beers, or you can do both. So we've actually done both the past few years, which has been, uh, it's, it's a lot of work. I mean, we, we take eight to 10 kegs to the JBF. They help organize the shipment and all that. But you're bringing banners, you're bringing stuff for the table, you know, placards, and you got to be there for four different sessions, plus the the award session and all that. So it's a big commitment. So this year, and then, and then also you need to like teach the volunteers too how to pour your beer properly and you, too. And right? you got, so. Yeah, and you get new volunteers, you know, every hour or two. So you want to swing back by to make sure they represent your beer appropriately and and hang out and talk and thank them for what they do and all that too. But it's a fair amount of of work. And it's enjoyable and exciting. This, this year was 16,000 people a session. So. Which is insane. Yeah. 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 And Eight, like, 800 breweries and varying, varying, varying levels of in, in, intoxication. We had someone two years ago that walked straight by us, uh, perfectly upright, throwing up, did not break stride, didn't even bend over, find a trash can, just threw up and kept walking straight by us around the corner. Um yeah. yeah. And then you get people that are, uh, you know, really uh, into the beer and really want to know more about the beer and learn about your brewery and mm-hmm. talk about the in- intricacies of, of, of the beers that you brought and that yeah. sort of thing. The train spotters of the beer industry. Exactly. Yeah. So it's yeah. good. You get a whole wide array of, of folks. I think everyone should go do it once. It's a brewery. Uh, it'd be great to, to go every year and to, to serve every year. But like I was saying, it's, you know, by time and then you figure out, you know, flights and hotels and rental cars, it's, it's a pretty big production, especially if you're bringing a couple people. Yeah. Cause every, every flight was booked out. Um, and yes. I, I actually sat next to some brewery owners that were flying back this way and he woke up in a panic the, uh, Sunday night before I f- flew back saying that he booked his, flight back for November, not October. And so he had to get a, and he was surprised to get a seat for him, him and his wife, uh, out. So because like every, every flight's booked. Yeah. It's it's booked. And we, we flew back last year, our flight out, 
Sunday morning, you know, we looked one direction and well, we had lunch with Brad from Stoop at the airport. Then it looked over the our direction and Fremont was there. And then Rubens was a couple rows back. And it's, it's kind of, you know, an eerie, scary thought. It's like, wow, we got half the, uh, Washington mm-hmm. <laughs> brew uh, scene on one airplane, but uh, yeah, yeah, but it's it's a it's a neat thing. We we did take a break though this year. We just had a, a newborn, so we have a, a Colleen and I have a, a little baby girl, uh, Mabel, and she's three months old. So uh, we took a break this year uh, from GABF. Uh, just sent beers in, so took the latter option. We're pretty sure we didn't want to do a table. We thought last second about maybe attending in person, just not having a table, but going to the competition and that sort of thing. And then we decided, no, let's just keep it simple. Let's do some family time. So up to Whistler, stayed up there for a couple of days just to spend some time by ourselves out in nature, but did watch the live stream. It was still just as exciting. I don't know if it, the first time we won at GABF, we won gold for Wild Warehouse and Wooden Barrel Age. That was a beer that I love and it was a category that I was, I'm passionate about. It was probably the top medal I could pick that I'd want to win, period. Mm-hmm. And it was the first big medal we ever won at a major competition. So topping that, I don't know. That's hard. But I will say you see breweries that win year after year that have won many medals that have been around for decades, the Russian rivers of the world, the Sierras uh, and those folks. And you see them win and they still get incredibly excited. And I always wondered, wow, if after you win your second or if it's you've been open for a few years, is it still as exciting? And even though we weren't there in person, we were watching on the live stream, we were still incredibly excited. We were jumping up and down in the in the condo and uh, we were elated, mm-hmm. uh, so happy and so excited. I was there at the awards and I stood up for you guys. Well, cheers, nice. So, Thank you. Yeah. And it's a beer like i said we love we love making the stout it's just kind of market demand only allows us to to really make it you know part of the year we have other beers during certain seasons that are just in higher demand so we'll have it through this winter and we'll see how much longer after that now that it it has its gold medal but uh Mm -hmm. yeah we love that beer a lot all right one last question about uh, the awards because you know like i'm I'm a technical guy i've worked in broadcasting i know there's a bit of delay in the live stream did your phone blow up with text messages of congratulations before it actually came across on the stream or did you have your phones off did not no we didn't have that uh luckily it was weird though it was uh it was, so we we're watching on the live stream. We had actually a really good feed, but it was the last category that we entered. So you, you can only enter four beers this year. People wonder like, you know, what beers did y'all enter? And it's like four, oh, only four. It's like, well, that's all they let you. There's so many breweries down in the U.S. Yeah, and some only, of the categories, like the IPA alone was like 409 entries. Yep. Like, and some, yeah. some are as little as 25 or 30 and they go up to, yeah, to the hundreds, but could only enter four. Our first three, we hadn't won anything. And then the last category, Extra Stout, which we actually thought was our best chance at winning. Even though Wild Warehouse has won some big medals before, we thought the Stout this year was probably our best bet and uh yeah they did bronze they did silver and i was kind of like well you know at this time at local time here it's about noon uh well actually it was about 11 o'clock i was kind of like well should we just go get a beer here one more medal and then mm-hmm. it's, it's just with the same with the wild warehouse they say the name of the beer you know they say correspondent and you kind of your brain kind of you know stutters for a second it's like wait is this another brewery and then they say your name and yeah it's 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 exciting yeah so uh yeah good times but no we then start getting texts about 30 seconds later but no one no congrats you know (laughs) 30 seconds early and then we'd be like wait what happened well what's going on so none of that all right good all right so wander i mean you guys are a very um technical brewery i mean you guys do a range of styles and you do them extremely well um and so that's what we're here to talk about today. So uh, when you first opened, what was the intention of the beers that you wanted to make and how complicated was the brew house to achieve that? Yeah, I think when we first opened, we wanted to have a large variety. We want to have something for everyone out there, which is a great thing, but can also be a bad thing because 
we don't like to put limits on the beers we make. My production team, if, if they have a beer they want to make, we sit down and talk about it. And if it makes sense, we put together a recipe and move forward. So it's good in that sense. The bad thing is you can get a little, your attention can go in all directions. You know, the creative brain just takes over. And, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, but we knew from the get go, we wanted to make a lot of different styles. And we want to have a little bit of something for everyone. We want hoppy beers. We wanted dark beers. We wanted, you know, light beers that are easy drinking. We want to do barrel aged beers and so forth. Um, really with designing the brew house and that sort of thing, uh, we knew we were going to do a two vessel brew house, just startup budget essentially combined with square footage available inside the building. You know, we have 5,000 square feet to work with and that's including tasting room. That's including our walk-in cooler, bar area, restrooms, offices, storage, boiler room, yeah, everything. So with only so much space, a, a large uh, brew house vessel can take up, you know, 80, 90 square feet alone. We we went with the two vessel system, which works fine for us. Uh, Mark's Design and Metalworks made our system out of out of Vancouver. Uh, it's a, a Vancouver, Washington. It's a twenty barrel brew house, fairly large. We only do just over two thousand barrels a year, so a lot of people are like, "Why twenty barrels?" You know, there's a lot of people on ten barrel systems that make more beer than us. And for me, it was just because as much as I love brewing, I don't want to be brewing twice a day, five days a week, and I want to have a small production team as well. Um, just small, tight knit, talented team, you know, and that's what we're kind of trying to build. We only brew here two or three times a week. Uh, now we make 20 barrels each time. So it's a little bigger brew house, but our intent was to kind of make a wide variety of beers only have to brew a few times a week, leave those other days open. A lot of people don't, uh, I guess, unless you've worked at a production brewery, everyone thinks we're kind of brewing all the time, but uh, the, the you only truth have so is much tank you only space. have so, much, yeah. so yeah. much tank space, but the amount of testing and measuring that we do, the amount of cleaning, sanitizing, just maintenance. I mean, we have days where we're doing maintenance on, you know, pieces of equipment, pumps, keg washers, all that stuff. Um, we actually, you know, brew 20 hours of the week, you know, and, and usually that's one person on the brew stand and we have four of us working back there right now. So everyone else, that's only 20 hours out of a total of close to 200 man hours. Only 20 of them are actually really on the brew house. Cause that's the one thing with brewing. There's a lot of hurry up and wait. So. There's a lot of hurry up and wait. So yeah, a lot of hurry up and wait, but it's, it's random stuff. And as a business owner too, you know, I've had half days where I've spent fixing dishwashers because, well, yeah, you could call someone, but they need to get here, which might take them a day or two. The taste room needs to be open that night. So, you know, I'm driving around town trying to source a, a widget to go in the dishwasher. So that's kind of small business ownership though. Um, back to the question, I guess, before <laughs> I deviate too much, but it was more kind of startup really budget. We had a lot of limitations on our design and what we could do, the space that we had, what would fit within the budget. So we have just kind of a standard classic two barrel brew house. I did splurge and got a cold liquor tank so we can do Pilsners in the middle of summer, which is great. Our, we have amazing water here in Bellingham. But even in the winter, the coldest our groundwater, you know, we'll get groundwater that's in the mid fifties, upper fifties in the uh, summer, you know, you're in the mid upper sixties. It makes it really hard to make lagers uh, unless you have a cold liquor tank um, and are able to crash the beer down cold before you pitch the yeast. So that's kind of one of the the kind of tweaks you make is we knew we want to do a fair amount of lagers or California commons, uh, kind of a, it's a hybrid lager ale, but it is a lager yeast strain. And we ferment that fairly cold. Our mutt is also a, a lager strain. It's a, a dark lager, which a lot of people don't realize. So that's, fermented cooler. So yeah, that's kind of one of the things that I guess went to the design of the the brewery. As far as manufacturers and that sort of thing, we narrowed it down to three domestic manufacturers. Uh, Colleen and I kind of, uh, one of our kind of mantras when we started was we want everything, anything we could source in America, we want to source in America and source as close to home as possible. There's a lot of breweries out there that preach local, but then you go in there and they have, you know, tanks from overseas. And I just kind of shake my head and I'm like, well, you're trying to wear this banner, this flag that 
drank local beer, support local, you know, support your local brewery. They'll people put on their t-shirts and then you go in and they had their stuff fabricated overseas. And I'm like, this to me, it's, it's hypocritical at mm-hmm. best probably. Yeah. <laughs> so because, yeah, because yeah, with a brewery, it's not just ingredients that you're sourcing locally. It is every step. It's, of the every, chain. it's everything. And we, we have trades people, you know, that are amazing fabricators in the Pacific Northwest. Why are we not using them? People say, well, it's a cost thing. And, you know, I was at startup and I had to make the tough decision of, of saving some costs on fabrication at startup. And then, you, but I'm like, well, yeah, yeah, but you have a 20 barrel brew house. Well, we said if we couldn't afford to get it fabricated somewhere locally, uh, domestically, then we'll make, we'll get a small brew house. Kylie and I were like, we'll get a, we'll get a 10 barrel. We'll get a 15 barrel if we can't get a 20. Because, so, and then also if something dramatic goes wrong, you can call him up and he comes down the road. Exactly. Right? And we, yeah. and you'll have that with your fabricator. You'll have that with your people who do your floors, whatever it is. And to have, you know, if you keep it close to home, then you can work with those people and develop those relationships. So you've had a bit of an expansion in the, in the recent years. Yep. There's, there's a little bit of hardware in there now. Yeah. What, what is that? And what is the purpose? Yeah. So we have, so we started with a 20 barrel brew house, a 40 barrel hot, 40 barrel cold liquor. We had four 20 barrel fermenters, two 20 barrel brights. After eight months, we expanded and got 40 barrel tanks. We basically doubled our capacity. Uh, We have half as many forties as we have twenties and they're double the size. So double the capacity if you do the math on it. With the types of beers that a lot of breweries make, if they're turning a beer in two, two and a half weeks, we could do close to 4,000 barrels. The type of beers we make, the facts that we like that the beer finish out. We don't rush any of our beers. We don't filter our beers. Um, most of our beers take at least three weeks to make, some of them four or five weeks. So we do just over 2,000 barrels a year. So stainless steel, though, we have as much as we want. And that was eight months after opening. We did one big expansion to double our fermentation capacity. And we said, that's all we want. So then we started further building out our wood and, and barrel age program. Uh, the first barrels we ever got were Chardonnay barrels that the Wild Warehouse went into. So the first beer we ever released then went in one of the JBF. And then it won at World Beer Cup as well, which was kind of crazy. And when we tasted that beer, I was like, this is amazing. And I'm like, oh, wow, this is our first kind of crack at barrel-aged beer too, which I don't, I don't, we put a lot of time and thought and effort into that beer and where we sourced the the barrels from and the fact that we got them from the winery the same day they emptied them and we didn't rinse them and we did all this, this fun stuff. So there's a lot of thought and effort that went into it. And it was, it's, it's an amazing beer, but that was kind of a like, whoa, this is crazy. So from there, we kind of doubled down and, and kind of uh, ramped up a little quicker than we might've. We always want to have a large barrel aging program, but we're like, let's get more into kind of go all in on this because we want this to be a big part of what Wander does. So about a month after we won at GABF, we then ordered up our first fooder from Fooder Crafters. So they're kind of the major American fooder uh, crafting company. They're out of Missouri. It's made of Missouri white oak. So 20 barrel fooder. So we do a full batch into that. Is is there any seasoning that needs to happen with that or are you, is it ready to go when it turns up? So each each time we've released a beer out of the fooder first generation. So we now have two American oak fooders from Fooder Crafters. We've tried to design a, a darker beer that has a little bit of a malt backbone to it. I mean, they're flavorful. It's brand new oak. Most people are used to barrel-aged beers that either had bourbon in them or whiskey or some sort of distilled spirit or wine barrels, both of which will have some residual flavor in them. And a lot of times those barrels too, a lot of the oakiness has been removed by the previous contents of the barrel. So first generation uh, American white oak, it's it's got flavor. So we designed beers that, one of the beers actually, which we just released, it is slightly tart and it, it's been, been fruited and spiced as well. But we designed kind of somewhat for barrel-aged beers, at least, kind of a neutral dark beer to go into it that we think can hopefully stand up 
the backbone of the beer can stand up against that heavy wood character. They're all uh, lightly toasted. Uh, a lot of the barrels that we get from wineries are medium toast, or if they're bourbon barrels, they're they're heavy heavy toast. So it's a lighter toast on the inside. We try and condition the first beer that goes in into them, a beer that'll kind of stand up to that oakiness and that freshness. I mean, it tastes like American oak. If you've ever cut a piece of American oak, you know, building a table or anything like that, or even, you know, yeah at all. You'll, you'll notice a smell and you get that in the beer. It's, it's pretty forward. Uh, subsequent batches though. Now, I mean, it, it gets less and less and the fooders now are inoculated with uh, different bacteria that we use. Um, so they're kind of evolving. Each one's kind of its own special little home. And then we added the open top fooders now as well. So we had the opportunity to, to buy open top fooders from a winery that produces Pinot uh, Noir down in the Willamette Valley down in Oregon. And at first we weren't really sure about open top fooders or how we wanted to use them. And we're like, okay, let's think about this. And we're like, well, this is an opportunity to create some barrel aged beers in a shorter amount of time at a lower price point too, for the, the, the customer too. Um, a lot of our barrel aged beers take 12, 15, 18 months and, and they're, and they're pricey beers because the amount of labor and, and, uh, and material that goes into them in time. But we're like, is there an opportunity for us to make a, uh, you know, a three or four week wood fermented beer? that we can be happy with and that we can have, we can turn around a little quicker and that we can have out at a lower price point and we can actually send out to draft accounts. Because right now, anything we have that comes out of a, a barrel, we have such little of it. It basically goes to festivals and then we pour it at our tasting room. But we wanted more of our beer to, to get out to accounts, these accounts uh, that that support us uh, locally. So it's kind of been our opportunity to do that. So with that, we're we're producing old world styles, you know, Belgian pale ales. Uh, we're looking at doing a Hefeweizen. Uh, we've done a couple different saisons, but more kind of classic old styles that traditionally would have been fermented in open oak. So we're kind of trying to take it back a little, kind of like what, you know, we're not doing IPAs in these. We're not doing anything... Uh, new agey in them, but it's a lot of old world styles. And then uh, you also took delivery of a cool ship. Uh, what is a cool ship and how's that been uh, for the brew house? Yeah. So then we have the cool ship. Um, so the cool ship, we had that fabricated uh, summer of 2016. So we, in the spring of 2016, we decided that we want to kind of see what sort of wild uh, kind of uh, bacteria uh, and yeast we could catch in the air here in Bellingham. So our breweries, for those who haven't been here, it's it's an old warehouse. We have roll-up doors on either end and we run along a creek. And the creek actually over here has a couple uh, wild cherry trees that grow on it, which is kind of fun. And, and tons of blackberry bushes as well. And, bla- and yeah. different, yeah. And, and, and Wacom as a whole is a very agricultural area, although we are in the middle of a 75,000, 80,000 person uh, town, we were like, well, we, we thought there was some, maybe some hope there. And we're like, well, let's see what we can get. So we put out just on a small scale, a couple gallons of wort, put them up on top of the, the fooders in between some of our barrels and liked what we caught. That was a short-term experiment, literally took a couple months, but we liked the flavors, like the taste we were getting off it. So we went ahead and ordered up uh, and had a, a cool ship fabricated uh, locally by a, a fabricator that we work with and then started cool shipping last fall. So fall of 2016. So our oldest cool ship beers right now are from September of that year. They're all still in the barrel. They're, I guess at this point, 15 months old. They're evolving. They're tasting great. It's just we're letting them sit. They're taking time. I'm not sure if the first release will be an 18 month beer, if it's going to be a two and a half or three year beer. We're just being patient with it. Basically our process for that. Um, is we we do a turbid mash into our into our mash lauder ton, basically imitating kind of an an old world practice. Um, a lot of the influence that we get, and a lot of people that are using cool ships in America, which I think commercially commercially I'm pretty sure we we're the first one in Washington. I'm fairly confident in that. Um, nationally, there's uh, 20 25 people doing cool ships right now. We 
are trying to, is what I, what I was going to do is a lot of people are kind of in the same way. We're trying to imitate basically what the classic Lambic and, and Goose producers in, in Belgium do. Um, and we're trying to do it on a local scale. And I'm not so naive to think that we have the most amazing, you know, microflora and bacteria and wild yeast in the world. But we're, if we do, we're going to figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> and it's kind of a, a fun little project that Colleen and I think there's promise to based off of our experiments. So, so the, the brewing process, we do a turbid mash which is a more length out process and involves bringing part of the mash over to the kettle, uh, boiling it up. We use a, a very large amount of, uh, of, of wheat in the beer, which gets sticky on a two vessel system. It's even more complicated. So we use a lot of, uh, a lot of rice holes. Uh, we basically do a, a typical brew after the mash, except we're using whole cone hops. We're, well, it's not typical at all. I shouldn't even say that. <laughs> we use whole cone hops. We boil for three hours. We go into the, uh, the cool ship blazing hot. So by the time we do a really quick whirlpool and go into the cool ship, uh, we're sitting at like 190 degrees. Uh, we let the, the beer then sit overnight for 16, 18 hours. It'll come all the way down to low or high 70s, low 80s. Uh, so the beer is just, it evaporates a lot. We get a, a few percent evaporation overnight. We roll up both garage doors on the on the brewery, let the wind blow through and just let it sit. And then we agitate it as well as we're doing that just to kind of get, uh, it's kind of classically what they do. So we kind of agitate, just kind of keep the, the mixture homogenous and hopefully uh, catch as much stuff as we can. Uh, next morning we come back, run it out of the, uh, out of the cool ship straight into barrels. So it's the only, the, the only beer until we started doing the fooder uh, fermented beers, it's the only beer that we make that ferments in oak. I'm a big believer of fermenting in stainless and putting clean beer into oak barrels. I don't like the thought of a lot of people just ferment in the oak barrel and let it age in there or transfer to another oak barrel. I don't like the thought of the beer sitting on top of yeast um, that uh, is done doing its job and troop and all of that. I like clean beer. beer and and that there's barrels. also any other bugs that are in the in the barrel as well that yeah. you don't know until Yeah, and, and having a beer that has alcohol in it will help with that as it come, if it's fermented beer coming straight into the barrel. But for these beers, we've, uh, you know, we kind of follow tradition and, and take their lead on it. Um, so it's, which is great because it's different from what we normally do. So we go straight into uh, first use uh, red wine barrels. And then those barrels right now are sitting. So we're creating 100% spontaneously fermented beer uh, using the cool ship. We'll see how it turns out. Right. Um, it's much debate, you know, with wild and spontaneous beer right now, what's considered wild, what's considered spontaneous. Um, you know, you have people that are Colin beers wild and spontaneous that are using commercial cultures and irritating a lot of people because they, they haven't, you know, some people don't feel they've taken the proper time and effort and patience to call a beer that, yep. um, in the same sense, you know, we, we can't call beer Lambic or goose cause it's not Lambic or goose. It's, it's American spontaneous beer, but American spontaneous beer isn't really as sexy as, you know, uh, so people are trying to figure out what do you, ASB. what do you they, call this? They, they, there's, yeah. there's a new category, yeah. the ASB. The ASB, yeah. there you go. Yeah. But people yeah. are trying to figure out what to call it. I don't know. Uh, all I know is it's going to be the, about as local of a beer as, as, as we can make. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see, uh, we'll see what, what comes of it. All right. And do you want to get any more hardware? Or are you guys pretty set for the time We're being? Pretty set. Uh, for the time being right now, we will probably get some more, uh, we might invest some more in some different packaging options, but, um, for right now, fermenters, uh, it'll be more oak barrels really out, but no large format, uh, oak. We don't have a whole lot of, uh, intentions. We have the four fooders. Now we have, uh, several, uh, punch-ins that we do beers in. So large format, uh, oak barrels. Oh, we just get more smaller format, like standard wine size barrels. No intentions to make it get any more, uh, uh, stainless steel. Um, no more cool ships. We only need one. Jeez. No second location. No second location. Uh, no, 
I mean, we've toyed with the the thought of, you know, opening a, a tap house outside of somewhere else outside of the core of downtown Bellingham. Downtown Bellingham, I think there's a lot of opportunity there and we want to see downtown grow, but we're already on the edge of it and just want to make much sense. But, you know, there's some outlying regions, you know, the Fair Havens and the Barclays and, you know, and then some of the small towns around here as well. But no immediate plans to do any of that. Um, we have, there's 13 employees right now at Wander and it's going really well and we're happy. And I think sometimes you got to be reminded how well things are going rather than constantly thinking about hitting the gas. We've kind of, we've put a halt on growing from a volume standpoint. We started that a couple of years ago after we've only been open for a little over a year. We kind of said, okay, let's get into growing to these tanks that we expanded to and that's it. And now our growth is trying to be, uh, our growth is we're trying to grow in quality. We're trying to grow in our relationships with our community. We're trying to grow in our, our benefits and our compensation to our employees. We're trying to just grow in all these different directions where for a while. And I think it's starting to change. And you can see that in the, in the sizes of breweries people are opening and, and kind of the the strategies that, that a lot of the new breweries are taking. But for a while there, it was hit the gas pedal. It was if you, whatever size brew house you think you want to buy, go too larger. You want a seven, get a 15. You want a 10, get a 20. Mm-hmm. And we were kind of on the tail end of that, I think to a certain extent, but there's a lot of breweries out there that are, are running at, you know, a third of capacity or half a capacity. I think we're we're happy with where we're at right now. A tap house would be fun, but uh, for now, it's just just the one brewery. All right. Well, thank you so much, Chad, for your yeah. time. Yeah. yeah. Cheers. Big thank you to Chad for his time. Thanks so much. And I hope you enjoy that episode. If this is your first time here, why not go to taptrail.com? There you'll find more news and events of Bellingham's craft beer scene, as well as the other episodes of this podcast series. My name's Aaron, and thank you so much again for joining us on this episode of Tapped In. Tapped In is a production of the Bellingham Tap Trail, with the content director being Scott Pelton. Until next time, remember, support your local.